and Answers begins right now. We know from history and the Bible that nations rise to power and nations fall. No leading power stands forever. America faces numerous threats such as terrorism, economic collapse, political division, and hostile foreign nations. Is America on the decline? Will other nations like China or a coalition of nations overtake the dominance of the United States? Will this generation see the demise of America or the revival of America? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with our host, Pat Zukren. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. The last time we were together, Pat began a message taken from 2 Chronicles chapter 7 that teaches us how our nation can experience renewal and revival to become a nation God can bless. If you've missed any part of this message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org. There you will find this message and hundreds more podcasts that you may download or listen online. Now let's get right to the conclusion. Recently, we saw the gay pride flag took center prominence even over the American flag flying at our nation's capital right on our doorstep. Never seen that before. When we take an obviously sinful lifestyle and we exalt it even higher than our American flag. Dangerous and destructive ideologies and lifestyles are promoted by our nation's leaders, media, and schools. And as the culture turns from God, the tension between the culture around us and Christ and his church is going to continue to grow. Okay, as the divide continues to get wider, let me tell you, Christianity will be viewed as radical and dangerous. And we already are seeing that. Christians and churches that want to stick to the Bible and preach what the Bible says are going to be viewed as radical and dangerous organizations. And so the tension is only going to grow. So every believer in Christ and churches must be prepared to take their stand because you will face criticism and even persecution from the culture around us. You know, my home churches are saying, man, we're glad we're seeing you here more on Sundays. Why is that? And you say, well, because I keep getting kicked out of churches. You know, why? Well, because they're not tolerating biblical teaching anymore. More and more churches are skirting the tough passages. Don't want to preach those tough books. Don't want to be, quote, controversial, giving in eh, to the ideas of the culture, refusing to take their stand when more than ever, they need to be the beacon of salt and light and righteousness in a culture going the wrong way. Can America be a nation that God will bless, or is her decline inevitable? Well, 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14 reveals the heart of the book of Chronicles and is actually the summary, the basic message of the Old Testament here. 2 Chronicles 7 14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The fate of a nation begins with the people of God. It begins with God and his people. Too often we think, man, if we can get those unbelievers in shape, man, if we can get those politicians 
in shape, we could turn this country around. Second Chronicles 7.14 calls on God's people, not the unbelievers to respond first, calls on God's people to respond first. God's people here refers to the nation of Israel, and they remain the people of God and his chosen nation until Christ returns. However, there's implications for us today, the church, because in this age, we are God's people. Not that we replace Israel, but we enter God's family through Christ and the church now, God has commissioned to be the light carrying God's message and presence to the world. So it is the people of God who know God, who know his commands, know what is required. We are the ones who are called to action. When God's people adopt the values and lifestyle of the culture, they're not the light for the culture to follow. However, when God's people commit their heart, soul, mind, and strength to following God, that's the beginning of that great spiritual awakening. When believers in Christ once again take up that call to discipleship seriously, they learn once again what it means to die to self, take up your cross, and follow Christ, that's when revival begins. Great movements don't start with the unbelievers. They start with God's people getting right and getting serious about their walk with God. So the fate of our nation rests in God and his people, not the unbelieving world. Revival starts in the hearts of God's people and then spreads to the rest of the nation even to the unbelieving world. And history shows us that actions of a few can bring healing to an entire nation. Don't think, oh, Kaneohe Congregational Church, this small church in Kaneohe, what can we do? God doesn't need much to do something great. He can use this church in very powerful ways. Alexis de Tocqueville, French social philosopher, came and he studied America and he wrote a great book, Democracy in America. And in one section, he wrote this. He said, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors, her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. In her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. In her democratic Congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Then he writes, not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness, did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. Can we say that about our nation and our churches today? I'm concerned watching denominations and Christian organizations capitulating to the false ideas of the culture. We see churches and Christian organizations going woke, ordaining individuals and priests who openly live sinful lifestyles contrary to God's word. You know, we recently had our Preparing for College conference uh, at a church in Kahala, and uh, it was under some duress that we had that conference because the woman who brought us in emailed and advertised it to the denomination they belong to and said, hey, we got this great conference preparing our kids for college, helping them keep their faith, 
throughout college. In fact, strengthening faith as they're going through college, not abandoning their faith as 70 to 80% of our Christian students do when they go to college. And she was wondering why the denomination wasn't promoting it. And she got a notice back from the denomination saying, as we celebrate Pride Month, as we are highlighting our gay and trans clergy people, we do not approve of this speaker or his organization or this conference. And so it was under some that we were just sitting there wondering, oh, okay, you know, who's showing up here? You know, it was great. We had over 50 young people and their leaders coming, learning how to prepare for college. And I told that church, I said, keep being a light in this denomination. I know it's tough, all right, uh, but keep being a light in an entire denomination that has bought into the ideas of the culture and completely gone apostate. And so our application is this. There must continue to be strong Bible teaching from our pulpits. We cannot censor the preaching of the entire Word of God. Our Christian leaders must be willing to speak on issues of sin and bring people to maturity and faith in Christ, the entire counsel of God's Word. We, all of us as believers in Christ, must once again seriously take up the call to discipleship, to bear our cross, lay down our life, and follow Him. When Christians are strong, when Christian families are strong, when the churches are strong, you have a strong nation. So it's God's people who are to respond. And how are we to respond? Well, they tell us, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Four things he calls us to do. Humble ourselves, pray, seek my face, turn from sin. He says, if my people will humble themselves and pray, you know, our sin nature is prone to pride. We don't like humbling ourselves under anyone's authority. We want to do our own thing. And nations and individuals, we have more difficulty dealing with prosperity than when we are in need because we tend to forget God. And here, humble means to bow the knee. It's a sign that one will submit oneself to God and his message. We surrender our desires and our goals to do God's will first. And when kings and nations humbled themselves before God, he forgave. But when they stood proud against him, that nation came under God's judgment. So our problems are not just economic or social or education, but spiritual and require God's help. Humbling is an attitude that confesses our problems are way beyond our capability, and we come depending upon you. 1 Peter 5.5 states that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. When we become nothing, He can become everything. But if we are a proud and haughty people who believe our success is due to our genius, because we are Americans, then we're doomed. Prayer is the manifestation of a humble heart. E.M. Bounds, the great scholar, said, humility is an indispensable requisite of prayer. It must be an attribute or characteristic of prayer. Humility must be in the praying character as light is in the sun. Prayer has no beginning, no ending, no being without humility. 
As the ship is made for the sea, so prayer is made for humility, and so humility is made for prayer. It's in prayer we're asking God to do what we cannot do in our own strength. James 5 says, the prayer of the righteous is mighty and powerful and effective. It's the righteous who humbly come before God and call upon God to intervene. And he says, seek my face. The Hebrew word for seek here, bakash, this means to search for with great diligence, to earnestly seek and go after. Okay? It's like, you know, when I lose my golf ball on the golf course there, and it's a close, tight match. I don't care if the bushes have poison ivy. You know, I'm jumping in there looking for it. And to seek his face means to study, search, learn about God's will and God's character. And when a believer seeks earnestly after God, God will make his will and his character known to that person. Because God desires to show us who he is and his will for each of our lives. And he says, when you turn from their wicked ways, God is not going to bless Christians or a country that lives in complete rebellion to his commands. And the Hebrew word there for turn means to return to the starting point, to retreat, to turn around. The idea here is that God wants his people to turn, return to the point they entered before sin and wickedness and return and come back to his presence. God wants his people to stop disobeying him, to stop doing what is wicked and to live lives of righteousness according to how he created us, how we are designed and the purpose for which we are created. When you live according to your design and your purpose, there's joy, there's peace, there's rest. When you live according to the way you are not designed or for the purpose for which you are created, there's anxiety, there's unrest, there's distress. Humbling ourselves and turning to God in prayer has been a key part of our history from the very beginning. You know, there are many key moments in our nation's early history when prayer and humbling of oneself played a key role in our nation's history. You know, the first meeting of Congress in 1774 took place at Carpenter's Hall in Philadelphia, and it was opened by prayer. There was some controversy as to can all these men from different kinds of churches come together in prayer. But it's on September 7th, 1774, the Reverend Jacob Duché opened the first congressional session with prayer. And John Adams described the prayer to his wife Abigail in a letter saying he had never before heard prayer with such fervor, such adore, such earnestness and pathos, and in a language so elegant and sublime for America, for Congress, for the province of Massachusetts, and especially for the town of Boston. It had an excellent effect upon everybody here. A few years after the Revolutionary War, there was tremendous controversy in Congress there over representation of individual states in the new government. And they were frustrated as for days they were debating in heated debate and it wasn't seeming to get anywhere. And on June 28, 1787, after much weeks of bitter debate, it was the Benjamin Franklin, the man people say was an atheist, 
It was Benjamin Franklin who delivered a speech to the Constitutional Convention at the age of 81. Being the senior member of Congress now, James Madison recorded the words of Benjamin Franklin, the atheist, many say he was. This is what he said. The small progress we have made after four or five weeks, close attendance and continual reasoning with each other are different sentiments on almost every question, several of the last producing as many no's as yeas, Methinks a melancholy proof of the imperfection of human understanding. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessing on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business and that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate in that service. Stuff your history books today have deleted from our American history books. It was Ben Franklin who called for prayer at the opening of every congressional session to ask God for his guidance. You all know the Star Spangled Banner? We sing that before every football game, baseball game. How does the song end? How does it end? You musical people? Huh? Landon. And the home of the... All right. That's not how the song ends. Did you know that? There are four stanzas to that song written by Francis Scott Key. Unfortunately, as we heard beautiful singing here, we only get to hear the first stanza, unfortunately. There's four stanzas. The last stanza is a prayer for the nation of the United States. Go look it up. It ends like this. Oh, thus... Be it ever when freemen shall stand between their loved home and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us as a nation. Then conquer we must be when our cause it is just. And this be our motto, in God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave. It ends with a prayer. Humbling ourselves in prayer has been a part of our nation from its very beginning. So our call then on this July 4th weekend is to pray for our nation and our leaders, even the ones we don't agree with. It'd be a lot easier to pray for our friend Mr. Iona here, but he didn't win. We pray for Mr. Green, our Governor Green, even though there's things we don't agree with with some of the policies or ideas that he has. We pray for our leaders. Remember that on July 4th. And remember, right, whenever you hear the Star Spangled Banner, remember, that wasn't the last verse. The last stanza ends with a prayer for our nation, as our wonderful singer here sang for us here. And the result is this. It says, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. He says, then will I hear. The word translated here, it's the Hebrew word shema. And it means to give close attention to, to carefully consider, to hear with great understanding. So the Hebrew word means to hear something, to understand what is required or being asked, and to give careful attention to that request. So God is saying, if my people will meet those requests, they will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their sin, 
And I will not just only hear their prayer, I will pay due attention to what they are asking and act upon their prayer. And he says, then I will forgive their sin and heal their land. When God's people repent and turn to him, he not only heals individuals, healing comes to families and to the nation as well. America is a unique nation in many ways. Can America experience a spiritual revival? Well, we've had two. There were times in America where the colonies were divided, people were living in sin, and we had our first great revival with a powerful preaching of Jonathan Edwards, and people turned back to God. Revival meetings were being held across the East Coast, People from the different colonies were coming. They met each other. Friendships were struck. They came together as a nation and then stood together against the tyranny of the British government. Then in the 1800s to about 1840, we had a second spiritual revival. The country was lost in sin. Uh, immorality was everywhere. And it was the preaching of Charles Finney and John Wesley. Powerful preaching throughout the United States where people were turning from sin and repenting, and they came together and they said, you know what, our founding fathers, they said, all men are created equal. All are endowed by their creator with the inalienable rights of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. There's a group of people here in slavery that aren't experiencing what our founding fathers intended. We need to set them free. And the freedom and the battle against slavery began. But America's had two great spiritual revivals. Can there be a third? Could this be the generation that sees that revival? Billy Graham was hopeful. Before he died, he says, My heart aches for America and its deceived people. But the wonderful news is that our God is a God of mercy, and he responds to repentance. In Jonah's day, Nineveh was the lone world superpower, wealthy, unconcerned, and self-centered. When the prophet Jonah finally traveled to Nineveh and proclaimed God's warning, people heard and repented. I believe the same thing can happen once again, this time in our nation. Can there be a third spiritual awakening and turning back a nation to God? Why not? Why not? Well, our final application is this then. How can it happen? Well, it happens when we humble ourselves, repent, Get right with God and take seriously the call of discipleship. Husbands loving their wives. Wives respecting the leadership of their husbands. Parents, grandparents, uncles, aunties teaching and living the word of God before their children. Churches teaching the whole counsel of God's word. Being faithful to teaching of God's word. Even the stuff we don't like and calling men and women to discipleship. It's when God's people get right with God, then the nation will follow. America can remain great. We can be a nation that God will bless, but it all begins with the people of God. So God bless you, and God bless America, and may we have a blessed 4th of July. Let's pray. <laughs> Yes. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we pray we would remember 
our Christian heritage, how you've blessed us, and may we not turn from that blessing. And may Kaneohe Congregational Church and all churches that call upon the name of Christ be faithful to the mission you have called us to, to be light and salt in a world of darkness, to be faithful to the preaching and teaching and living out of your word, that this church may be a light to Kaneohe, Hawaii, and to the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, we've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers. Our goal is to bring you the love of Christ and to equip you in your faith to always be ready to give a response. If you would like to hold an apologetics conference or series of teachings at your facility, contact Pat by calling him in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may email him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to browse through our listing of topics on our site. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. You will also find articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. An additional location to find Pat's messages is on YouTube. Look up Evidence and Answers and hit the subscribe button. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. Donating is simple. Just log on at evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers is grateful for one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a place to grow in your faith, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log in at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucker. Hey, hey, hey.